Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Well, happy Mother's Day to all you moms here with us. Thanks for choosing to celebrate your day with us. Uh, You know, I haven't been a mom personally, but I've observed uh, Amanda, my wife, being a mom. And I gotta say, momming is a lot of work. Like 24 seven, 365, you're on. And you're not just on taking care of yourself. That would be easy. You're on for the kids in your care. And for them, you're a nurse, you're a teacher, you are a counselor, you're a playmate, you're a shuttle driver, and so much more. So on behalf of our church, we just want to say thanks for all that you do day in and day out, and we hope you feel celebrated today. Question for you all. Have you ever tried to like force the issue with something because you want to like make it happen, you want it to go your way? Uh, and maybe you'll try as hard as you possibly can just to try to get the result that you want in the end. Anyone done that before? Me neither. Like the time when I was graduating from college and, uh, you know, graduation is like just weeks away. And then a couple months after that, I'm going to be getting married. And I'm thinking, I have got to land my dream job now. So I'm applying for anything and everything up and down the front range. I wanted to be a youth pastor. My youth pastor had made a huge impact in my life. I wanted to have a similar impact in the lives of students. So... I'm applying for all these jobs, left and right, but I am striking out, totally striking out. And I go to my adjunct professors who were teaching a practical theology class. They were actually local pastors in the area, but they were teaching a class for us seniors. And I just go to them and I say, hey, help me understand what's going on here. Why can't I get an interview and why can't I get a job when I do get an interview? And they talk through some things with me. And I don't say I walked away from that conversation a little discouraged because I, I was like, I went just weeks out from graduation and they told me, you got to go to seminary. And I'm like, how many more years of school do you think I need? Like, I thought I was done. Well, a couple weeks after that, they approach me this time and they say, hey, Chris, would you apply for this middle school director position at our church? I didn't know much about their church, but I figured, yeah, sure, why not? So I apply, and then I go, and I attend on a Sunday. I've never been to this church before. So I'm just observing it, taking it all in. Is this going to be a good fit for Amanda and me? And honestly, through my rose-colored glasses, it looked amazing. Like, where has this church been my whole time in college? Like, I would have been going here all along. And long story short, they hired me. And I, I get this job, and I'm excited. It's my first ministry position, and I start serving. And just a couple weeks into that, I'm starting to think to myself, is this the best fit for me? Is this role a good fit? Is this church a good fit? Well, by four months, I knew for sure it wasn't. Like, this was not working for me. I I didn't feel like a fit in the role. I didn't feel like a fit with the church. And I was talking to my boss about quitting. And that's when he convinced me to stay. Just ride it out through seminary. I'm like, okay, I, I, I can do that. I'll make it through seminary, and then I'll, I'll find another job after that. Well, 
Though he swayed me to stay, it didn't take long before Amanda and I were having a conversation and we were like, how do we expedite this process? And what we came up with was I was going to fast track seminary. I, I was going to take more credits, do winter sessions, summer sessions, take as many credits as I possibly could, just load up and let's just power through this season. So that's what we did. Ended up shaving a whole year off of grad school. I do not recommend that to anyone. Because as I walked across that stage, I received my diploma, smiled with the president. I was exhausted. Like the gun for ministry was just going off. Like here goes the marathon. And I wanted to throw the towel in. I was spent. That's what happens when we try really, really hard to force something that just doesn't feel like it's a fit. And I have this tendency, I don't know if you have this tendency, but when things get tough, I just try harder. Like, I figure if I can just will it, I can just man up, I can get through, and, and then get whatever result, you know, we're seeking. Now, that might be beneficial in some areas of life, but there is an area of life where that is not beneficial at all. It's actually harmful. And it's in the realm of faith. Have you ever tried to force the issue when it comes to faith? Yeah, me neither. Like, you know, trying to do a bunch of good works so that God is pleased. Or doing some big grand thing for God in hopes that he approves of us. Religion and good works go hand in hand. But we're not called to religion. We're called to a relationship. And this is really good news. This news is, is better than any of the other good newses we could receive. A raise, our kids getting a full ride tuition to the school of their dreams. It's better than anything. Because this good news changes how we live every single day. This good news is hopeful, it's transformational, and it is unshakable. And this series, this good news series, is all about this good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the power of God for salvation for all who believe. That's what this good news is about. And what we're learning from Paul's letter to the Romans is that... Uh, we, we can experience salvation, but it's not going to be through our hard work or our performance because we're not righteous. We all fall short. But Jesus makes us righteous. And there are great implications for this. So we're going to continue to read Romans together today. Now we're in Romans chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn with me there now. And as Paul illustrates his case for faith today and how it's not about more force it's so much better than that he's going to reference a patriarch abraham he's the like the founding father of the jews faith in fact he wasn't just the founding father of the jews faith christians we look back to him as the founding father of our faith. Even Muslims, Islam, look, it finds its roots back in Abraham as well. This guy has a lot of faith coming from him. Faiths, world religions coming from him. And why would that be? Because he is a model of faith. And we're going to see today what that means for our faith. You might remember Abraham from Sunday school. You know, Father Abraham, who had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I won't sing it for you. I want to save your ears for our kids later. But this guy's a big deal. 
And Paul looks at his life as an example for us all. And I just got to give us a Cliff Notes version of his story so that we can understand what Paul is going to present to us as his case for faith today. Okay, so about 4,000 years ago, Abraham and his wife Sarah lived in Mesopotamia. They lived in the Fertile Crescent right between the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers, okay? You, you remember that from a geography class? That's where they lived. They were wealthy landowners. Life was good for them. And then one day, God called Abraham to pick up and move to a new land, a place he had never been before. Now, with very little information, but a clear word from God, Abraham was obedient. He packed up his family and they moved out. And after some time, God shows up to Abraham again. And this time he makes a covenant with Abraham. He's promising Abraham that, that you're going to become a great nation. Your descendants are going to be more numerous than the sand on the seashore, more numerous than the stars in the sky. Like This is going to go big, and I'm going to make it happen. Abraham's like, okay, cool. But then him and Sarah get a little impatient. In particular, Sarah, who at this point is rather old, older than anyone in this room. And she's thinking, I don't see how this is going to go down. So, in her impatience, she has Abraham sleep with her servant. Weird, I know. She was desperate. And then, shortly thereafter, God shows up to Abraham again. This time, he says, look, that, this is not going to happen through Ishmael, that, that son you just had with Sarah's servant. It's not through him. I'm going to do this, but I need you to trust me. And he gives him this, this sign of this special relationship that Abraham and all of his descendants, who Abraham's wondered when they're going to show up, gives them this sign. And it's the sign of circumcision. And it indicates, hey, like we're the people, we're God's chosen nation, the, the people of God. But they continue to wait. Abraham and Sarah continue to wait until now God sends three guys to inform Abraham, hey, in a year from now, Sarah's going to have a baby. Sarah happened to overhear this conversation, and she found it rather comical. As she is now over 90, she's like, there's not a chance. But faith is only laughable until it isn't. Because a year later, there she was, holding a baby, Isaac. The one that God promised. The one who that nation was going to come from. Now, with this just working understanding of Abraham's story. We are, we're ready, we're poised to hear what Paul has to say about our faith. Because we're going to see how Abraham's faith impacts our faith and should inspire us in the lives that we live. Will you bow your heads, let's pray together, and then we'll open scripture together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, speaking to us through your word. Thank you for illustrating what that looks like with various people through the ages who have followed you. Uh, would you inspire faith in us today. Newfound faith for some, and would you grow the faith of all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, starting in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Paul writes this. What shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was the patriarch of the Jews' faith. We just 
talked about that. Now, what happened for some Jews, especially Jewish teachers, some started to believe that Abraham was like on God's good side because he did good. He obeyed the law. They actually presumed, some teachers taught, that Abraham obeyed all of the law before God even gave the law to his people. That's what they thought. They thought Abraham was righteous because he performed righteously. But Paul says, that's not how it went down. Abraham was credited as righteous. He was literally justified. He was made right. Like he could stand before God, not because he did right, but because of his faith. Paul, Paul thinks, look, if it was all about performance, Abraham of all people would have performed well. He wasn't perfect, but he performed pretty well. But we know that performance doesn't get us to God because of what we just read in Romans chapter 3. We talked about it last week, and Paul's point there was this. A right relationship with God comes not through our doing right, but a relationship with Jesus, which then spurs us to do right. Order matters. And Paul has to reiterate this, and he's doing it through the model of Abraham. Abraham had nothing to boast about personally. Like, it wasn't his own bravado in doing good that got him to God. No, God came to him. And, and Abraham was deemed as righteous because of his faith, his willingness to trust God, even when it didn't make human sense. And like Abraham, it's our belief, our faith, that will credit us as righteous. Because it's not by our performance, it's not by our hard work, our effort, none of that. We have nothing to boast about personally. We fall short. But the gospel is that Jesus followed through. So we don't have to be good enough in our own effort. Jesus makes us good enough for God. This is really, really good news. We, we've got to move from boasting to belief. We're not boasting in our own performance. We're now believing in Jesus and his work for us. Instead of saying, you know, look at me. Watch, me. watch me perform, God. Watch me do the thing. Instead of trying to draw attention to ourselves, our eyes should be fixed on Jesus. He's the, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And our faith, like Abraham's, know it should inspire some faith in others as well. Paul continues his case for faith as follows. Now in verse 4. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. A relationship with God is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Forgiveness is a gift. His grace is a gift. And a gift can't be earned. A gift can only be received. Imagine with me. You have a birthday party, and you have all your friends and your family, and they come, and they, uh, you know, your uncle gives you a gift, okay? And you're like, oh, sweet, a new jacket. I love it. I'll be over Saturday to mow the lawn and pay for it. Everyone would look at you like, 
You have three heads. That doesn't make sense because we know that gifts aren't earned. Gifts are received. Now, why, why is it that God wants to give us a gift and we want to earn it from him? This is about his grace, him giving us a gift, something we don't deserve, but we should receive. It comes down to our trust, our trust that he is good, that he is made a way. We've got to, we've got to move from trying to trust him. God is good, he's kind, he's compassionate, he is merciful, and Jesus is God's gift to us. The way to God is through a person, not through performance. Abraham didn't earn it, we can't earn it either. So, as the passage is alluded to, we've got to trust God. We've got to trust God with all that we are. Everything in us, we've got to trust God. Paul continues in verses 9 through 15. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's life was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness may be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who are not only circumcised, but also who follow in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless. Because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Okay, when I was a kid, I had a really hard time seeing the chalkboard in class. I would squint and try to make out what the teacher was writing on the chalkboard. And I did my best, but I, was, I, I missed it sometimes. And I didn't even realize this was a, a problem. I didn't realize that others could see the chalkboard better than I could until... My mom brought me to the eye doctor. And I sat down in that crazy chair with the arm thing that looks like it's from Star Wars. The doctor put that, those lenses right in front of my eyes and he starts to click through the options. A ridiculous number of times. One or two. One or two. Two or three. And it wasn't until we finally dialed it in that I could see the chalkboard. I could see the letters on the wall in that room in high-definition focus. And what the doctor was doing for me, he was helping me see, I need corrective lenses. So I picked out these bad boys. <laughs> <laughs> if the glasses didn't convince you cool, the shirt did. Nothing like rainbow tie-dye. <laughs> what, what the doctor did for me, Paul was doing for his original audience. He was bringing something into focus for them. This is what the law was about. This is what circumcision was about. <coughs> These things, they don't proceed 
God deeming you as righteous. Like it wasn't because you're circumcised, which was again that sign of the covenant, that the sign of the relationship that God had with his people, or them obeying the law. It wasn't these things, these good works, these religious works. It wasn't those things that made Abraham righteous and his descendants righteous. Oh no. It was Abraham's faith. God approached Abraham, made a covenant, and he invited Abraham to have a relationship with him. Long before Abraham did anything for him. Abraham did these good things, obeyed God as he instructed, but it was an overflow of his faith. It, it didn't precede his faith. And Paul is getting all of this back into focus because order matters. We can't work our way to God. Now, there's a, a slight distinction here from our faith and Abraham's faith. It's, it's a good deal for us. You see, Abraham's faith was always forward-facing. One day, God's going to make me into a great nation. One day, I'm going to have that son that he's promised. One day, it's going to happen. It's always looking forward. Our faith, though, we get to look backward, which gives us the confidence to look forward. We get to look back and see that God did come through on his promise. He wasn't just a promise key, uh, maker, he's also a promise keeper. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to us. And it changes everything. It actually allows us to move from religion to relationship. Paul explained Abraham's hope in God's promise this way. Verses Verse 16 and following. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being Things that were not. Jew or Gentile, religious, irreligious, connected or disconnected, God loves everyone. And he's offering this gift, his grace, to us. And that gift is to be received by faith. This is the gospel. This is different than every other world religion, every other major belief system. When you boil them all down, they really get down to this idea of like we have to do things to appease God or appease the gods. And Christianity is different. Instead of us having to do the work, we trust in Jesus who already did the work. This is grace. This is a gift to be received. Yeah, we're created to do good works. That's an overflow of our faith, but we're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus and through faith in him alone. We believe Jesus is good, so we're inspired. We're spurred to do good. Paul continues in verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old, Abraham was 99 when he had Isaac. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. She was 90. 
Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Even though the odds were stacked against him, Abraham didn't lose hope because Abraham's hope wasn't in his own capability. It was in God's ability. And though the situation looked hopeless, Abraham maintained hope. uh, Sarah, she appears to have lost hope. She went to plan B. But faith is only laughable until it isn't. You see, when God shows up, when Isaac arrived, it became very clear. God is the one who's in control. God's the one who's making this promise come about. And, And God isn't just a promise maker. He is the promise keeper. He is the dead raiser. That's the hope that we have. Paul got to it at the very end of this passage. We have hope because Jesus rose from the dead, victoriously rose from the dead. He took our sin upon himself. He took the penalty for our sin, the the payment upon himself. But he didn't lose to sin. He conquered it. He conquered the grave. And he is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And he's coming back. And when he does... It'll all come down to, do you have a relationship with him? Not your performance, nothing else. Do you have a relationship? Now the question for us, when we look at Abraham's story, and the, the, the last passage we just read, is this. Where in life are you trusting your capability and not God's ability? Is it to close the deal? To close in the home? To get the position? Where are you trusting your ability when you actually need to be trusting God's ability? You know, honestly, even this week, I I lost sleep a few nights this week because um, our family has just gone through a big change. We just welcomed number five into the family, third kid, two parents, and... We're outnumbered, and we feel it. And it's like, what does this look like? Um, how, how, do we, how do we provide? What does this look like? Amanda was working part-time. Now she's not because she's home with our girls. Like, is she going to need to go back to work? Do I need to um, do something else on the side to help? Whatever. What do we need to do? And I, I, I lost sleep because I'm trying to, like, problem-solve this in my sleep. I'm not, like, the best at 1 a.m., but my mind's running with, like, how do we make money to provide for our family? Right, and I, I I was honestly reviewing this this morning in preparation to share with you all, and I was like, oh yeah, shouldn't be trusting my ability. Need to be trusting God's ability, because He has always provided. Every single time we've gone through this transition where we add uh, a member to our family, and you know the old system is strained, God provides a new way, and we continue continue to live, we continue to thrive, and it's a good thing. And I'm like, why is it that I can't look back 
And remember, all of these times, God's been faithful. And, and let that inspire the faith that God's going to be faithful in the future. Because he is always faithful. So, I can't tell you specifically what it's going to look like for you to, to release the trust in your capability and instead trust God's ability. But I just want to let you know, I'm right there with you. And together, I think when we go before God, he's going to reveal where we're trusting our own willpower and where we need to surrender that to his ultimate power. After all, Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us this about faith. Faith is confidence in what we hope for, in assurance about what we do not see. That's the kind of faith we have. We actually get to look back on God's past faithfulness, ultimately displayed in the cross and Jesus' resurrection. But we can also look back on his faithfulness in our own lives. And that gives us confidence that he's going to be faithful in the future. So we can move forward, not in fear, not in force, but we can move forward in faith. We can know God. We can have a relationship with him. We can stand before him because he's faithful. When there seems to be no way, uh, when, there, when there is no way through good works or through religious duties, Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he is the one who enables us to move from boasting to belief, from trying to trusting, from religion to relationship, and from hopeless to hopeful. Because with Jesus, it's not about our force. It's about our faith. And faith Faith is confidence in God's faithfulness. His faithfulness in the past, which gives us confidence that he's going to be faithful in the future. So no matter what you've done, no matter what you're facing, I'll invite you to respond in faith. Faith by the power of God working in you. Faith because of Jesus. Faith because God is let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for the faith that you outline in your word. Thank you that it's not by our force, not by our effort, not by our hard work or our religious performance. Thank you that it is by your grace that we get to have a relationship with you. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for Jesus. Would you show us the areas in our life where we're trying too hard and we need to let you do what you do? Do what you do best. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen.